Hi, this is Larry Wilson, and this is How to Talk to Humans. This is the podcast that shows you how to improve your communication skills. Are you looking to get a better job? Are you looking to find a relationship? Are you trying to do things in your life that have frustrated you and eluded you so far? I can show you so easily how to change that. Now, I can only do it with humans. If you're looking to deal with vampires or zombies, extraterrestrials, this is not the show for you. But if you're really looking to improve your communication skills, I can show you what I've learned from 40 years in show business working with the biggest celebrities and superstars in the world, and their secrets are unbelievable. What I'm going to be teaching you during the course of this podcast every week are tools that you can use to communicate toward success. Hi, this is Larry Wilson. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of this show, How to Talk to Humans. A friend of mine from Salesforce was asking me about semiotics. And so this seems like as good a place as any to jump in today. Uh, Semiotics is the science and study of information that is signaled without words. And the most common assumption is, oh, uh, you mean body language. Certainly body language would be a part of semiotics, but that's really just the surface level. Semiotics goes much, much deeper than that. It's everything that we signal to other humans without actually speaking it aloud. The most obvious example I think of is uh, if you saw a stop sign, but it didn't have the word stop on it, but it was red and it was that shape, you would know instantly what it meant. You know instantly because it's signaling you semiotically. There are so many things we do. Uh, Some of them are very apparent. Uh, Some of them are more subtle, not as clear. A lot of uh, semiotic signaling we do has to do with social interaction between humans. Uh, I must confess that some of it has been puzzling to me all my life. But maybe to other people it seems uh, more logical. Uh, sometimes um, there's a reason that people wear jewelry. It's very rare that people wear jewelry made of something dull or lusterless. Jewelry is usually made of uh, precious metals or gems. And they catch the light, which catches our eye. Now, again, uh, I don't want anyone to feel uh, like I'm putting them on the spot, because it's not my intention here. But a lot of things we do, we may not realize why we're doing them. Uh, Some people may just say, oh, yeah, I like jewelry. I like uh, that ring. looks really nice. But... One of the things that we're communicating semiotically is I have some value. Now, maybe it's a gift someone gave you. 
well, then you must be very valuable for someone to give you that valuable gift. Maybe it's something you bought for yourself. Maybe it means then you're very successful that you could afford to buy yourself this ring or watch or bracelet made of precious metals or encrusted with precious stones. But it's interesting how common it is, how we don't realize all this semiotic signaling that we do. And for those of you who may think, oh, this is a fever dream of Larry's. This is just some crazed uh, imaginary tale. I can give you a very concrete example that I think will resonate with everyone, but particularly with people in business. I realized the other day, sometimes I realize things that are my weak points that I'm not good at. And I realized that type fonts are communicating semiotically to us. Now, I'm terrible with design. I, it's not a strong suit of mine. Uh, and of course, I always recommend, if there's something you're not good at, hire people who are good at it. And then suddenly it makes you look like a genius for having hired them. Also, sometimes people don't realize. They don't know. It's like the story I was telling you in a prior episode about the Beatles. I just heard them and thought their music was great. I didn't know anything about George Martin, their producer. Obviously, without George Martin, I don't think the Beatles ever become the Beatles. Maybe that's audacious thing for me to say, but that's my feeling. Is That's what a incredibly fundamental role he plays. So if there's something like design that I'm bad at, if you're bad at something, then hire someone who's good at it and who can help you with it. And I thought of this when I was looking at different type fonts. And I realized there's people who are so good at design. If you meet with them, if you're talking with them, they want to know about what it is. Maybe it's uh, for your company. Maybe it's the name of your company. Uh, maybe it's a sign for a store or for a presentation. There are people who look at type fonts and have a very clear understanding of the semiotic message that type font communicates. Now, the, the best way I can think of, of course, is to think of things that don't work. Sometimes uh, you'll see some name for an enterprise or a business or something, and the name is fine, but the type font they've chosen is all wrong. Well, why would that be? It can only be because it is communicating something semiotically to us. Now, that uh, message that it's communicating, it might be, this business isn't serious. Or maybe it's the opposite. This business is deadly serious. But it may not be congruent with the message. Maybe it's something like Chuck E. Cheese, but 
the type font looks like some high level law firm. Well, you don't know why it doesn't feel right, but it doesn't feel right. By the same token, it could be the reverse. It uh, could be a mortuary. And the type font they've chosen looks, um, I think of one called uh, Comic Strip Sans, uh, very popular, that looks like lettering that you would find in a comic book. Well, this is not the message we want to communicate with a mortuary. We're, we're looking for dignity and the sort of conservative, respectful sense of, uh, of an estate, perhaps. But I think it's a really great example. I, I don't mean to suggest here that everyone should drop everything and start to study type fonts so that you pick the very best one. Because if we all did that, I would be at the back of the pack. I can't do it. I, I mean, sometimes I'll see something and think, ooh, that's bad. But for the most part, I rely um, on other people who are much better at this. And I'll, I'll show them something. I'll say, oh, I wanted to put up this ad, or I wanted to put up this notice, or this... Uh, social media posting, but I don't really know what font. They'll look and go, oh, I know what font, and they'll pull something out, and of course, they're right. I think the important thing that I wanted to touch on here was the idea that the air is thick with information that's all around us. And you ignore it at your own peril. Uh, You're welcome to say, oh, this doesn't matter, or this is too picayune. But if you want to achieve a competitive advantage with other people and with other businesses, it's easily within your grasp. It's about improving your communication skills. And sometimes there's things we forget about. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> somebody, somebody who, uh, a younger person, who I think is in their 20s, who was listening to one of the early episodes of this podcast, uh, reached out to me because they were confused because I made some reference to uh, Halcyon Days. Now, I realized what the confusion was. I wrote back, I said, you know, before Halcyon was a drug, before it was a pharmaceutical controlled substance, it was an English word. Now it's spelled differently. Halcyon, the drug, which I think is some kind of soporific, uh, I think is spelled H-A-L-C-I-O-N. And the word in English meaning a bygone time which is how I used it, is H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. I think I can't see without seeing it in front of me. But um, I thought that was so funny. And just trying to lighten the mood, I said, it's okay. A lot of words in English get taken over and repurposed to mean new things and other things. 
uh, I said, you know, before Tesla was a car, it was actually a man. And this person wrote back, and they were astonished to learn this. I said, yeah. I mean, the reason that Elon Musk named his uh, electric car company was because this man, Nikola Tesla, was very interested in alternative energies and electricity and all these other things. And I thought, how funny that is. We take it for granted. We forget where certain words come from. And I believe this is also part of semiotics, is that sometimes we're using words or phrases that the actual meaning of them may be very different than the semiotic message it communicates. I'm not positive about this, but it just is something that occurred to me. Uh, I was just thinking how funny it was. I saw someone in, in the news report or something about some DJ at some high-end club or something. And I can't remember what his name was, but it was something like, you know, DJ Bad Mofo or whatever his name was. I don't know. But what struck me, it's so funny, is I thought, wow, I wonder if he knows what DJ means. I wonder if he ever thought about where did that come from? I mean, DJ, of course, stands for disc jockey. How incredibly ancient does this make me sound? I might as well be telling you about the Peloponnesian Wars that I fought in. Uh, disc jockey. And I would imagine there may be young people listening to this who are thinking, I still don't know what Larry's talking about. Well, because in a halcyon time, a bygone era, before streaming, before digital, I know to you, younger people, Ancient history is like CDs, compact discs. But before compact discs, there were cassettes. And before there were cassettes, there were vinyl discs. And of course, uh, I know they've made quite a comeback. Um, I know quite a few people who absolutely prefer the sound of vinyl discs. It has a different sound. There's no question about it. And... In the days before computers, I know it's hard to imagine, we call that BC, before computers, that radio stations used to play popular music of all different strata. There were country music stations and rock and roll stations and classical stations, that sort of thing. And the people who played those discs, those vinyl discs, were called disc jockeys. Now, I, I can only go so far with this, because when I think of jockey, I think of someone riding a horse in a race. But I suppose it was a leap that someone made, meaning that they were people who handled the discs and managed them and and arrange them in a certain way. But that's the origin of that. But as always, these things fade into the mists of time. I'm also reminded, of course, of things in filmmaking. There was a 
very famous German uh, filmmaker in the 40s in America named Ernest Lubitsch, who directed uh, screwball comedies and was very successful, bringing up Baby with uh, uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn and some other people like that. And uh, it was a very colorful character, had a tendency to work with the same people. He liked to use them. And he had a very thick German accent. He'd say, all right, children, I think we're going to do this. And he would, you know, be talking about, and he would, he had, um, he numbered certain reactions so that people he worked with all the time, he'd say, you know, Carol, give me number 39. And she'd know that was a certain look of surprise and indignation. You know, it's crazy. What's so funny is, in filmmaking, I don't know if it's still the way this way today, but uh, it's obviously the more elements you add to a scene, the more complicated it becomes. If there's special effects, it becomes more complicated. If there's a lot of people, more complicated. People in costumes or animals or things. So the simplest thing we can shoot is just shooting film that has no audio being recorded. We'll lay in a track later. Maybe it's a spaceship, you know. Well, we're just going to shoot the visual and then we'll lay in, we'll create an audio later. Or maybe it's a crowd scene where we can't really see anyone's mouth and we'll lay in the sound of a crowd later. And this is always, as far back as I can recall, always referred to as MOS. When somebody says, oh, yeah, we'll shoot this MOS, it means that the sound recordist knows they don't have to record sound. It also means that problems that arise when you're shooting with sound aren't going to be a problem now. If there's background noise, if someone off camera says something, if a plane flies overhead, if an air conditioning unit turns on someplace, uh, we don't have to worry about any of that because we're shooting MOS. But of course, what's so funny is I realized at some point, I don't know what that means. What is MOS? And I researched and researched, and I eventually found it is attributed to Ernest Lubitsch. Now, I always say, this is what I was told. I don't know if it's true or if it's apocryphal, but it's a fantastic story. I'm told that the reason everybody in filmmaking uses the term MOS for meaning we're shooting and we're not recording is because Ernest Lubitsch was famous for moving really fast and shooting really fast. He knew exactly what he wanted. And he would say to the crew, all right, children, we'll shoot this next one without sound. Mid out sound. And so on the clapboard, they just write MOS, mid-out sound. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's such a fantastic example of how information is communicated and at its most basic level, it is semiotic. The more we can focus on understanding semiotics, on recognizing semiotics, on using them to our advantage, 
the more powerful you can be as a communicator. This has been Larry Wilson. I want to thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope you found this information useful. If you're looking for more, you can find it at thewilsonmethod.com. There's a ton of stuff there. In fact, if you want, you can even speak to me because I'm human. Send me an email at info at wilsonmethod.com because I read every single one. I hope that you'll join us next week in this continuing journey. And you'll be with me for the next episode of How to Talk to Humans. <laughs>